teenagers are known for breaking the rules and getting into trouble. While life isn't always a dramatic teen movie, the fact is that high school and even middle school kids can get into some pretty questionable situations, particularly when they party. Underage partying can lead to all kinds of obviously bad outcomes, but what if there's no defined outcome at all? What if you went to a party and then just disappeared and no one ever saw you again? My name is Brianne, and I'm the host and creator of Among the Dirt and Trees, a show where we explore true crime cases that occur out in nature. In this episode, we're going to talk about Melanie Melanson, a 14-year-old girl who went to a party with friends back in 1989 and was never seen again. When I research my cases, I'm not looking for a specific kind of person. If there's anything that true crime is good for teaching us, it's that no one is safe from foul play. But Melanie's case surprised me all the same. The images of Melanie Melanson that were released by the media were a really great insight into how complicated the human experience is. When I saw a case about a girl who disappeared from a party that she wasn't supposed to be at, I, like some of you, I'm sure, met it with a kind of bias. Straight out of the gate, I assumed that I was looking for one of those rebellious teens. You know, the kind who seemed to scream, I am not a child, as loud as they can, while definitely just looking like a child with makeup from the local drugstore. It's the phase that a lot of us go through in middle school that just seems to stick for some people. I expected a rebel or someone trying to make a statement. What I got was more of a Marsha Brady situation. At the age of 14, Melanie looked like what she was, a child. A young, baby-faced little girl with round cheeks and some adorable 80s hair. She didn't look like a rebel at all, and she certainly didn't look like someone who was in the business of routinely disobeying her family. But she was. Investigating true crime cases is a pretty great way to acknowledge biases, and I think that this is particularly important important for crime. If I just saw a picture of Melanie, I would say, I bet she wants to be a vet when she grows up and is always really nice to everyone. But judging by the media reports, I expected something else. And we should all consider how the framing of this kind of content changes our opinion of a case. According to what we know, Melanie was a bit of a scandal at the time. She was known to disobey her parents and her grandmother, and she had apparently run away before, a fact which police seemed to hold tight to. The media also seemed to love to highlight that she was with five male friends when she disappeared. While I can't speak to being a teenager in the 80s because I literally wasn't even alive yet, I can talk about the female experience, and I think that Melanie is an excellent example of the present societal dangers that women of all ages can face. As a teen girl, I was no stranger to the unfair standards that girls had to deal with. I wasn't allowed out after dark, I wasn't allowed to hang out with boys until I was nearly 18, and never alone. I definitely wasn't allowed to go to parties. Why? Easy because we all know what happens to those kinds of girls. At least, society thinks that it knows. When I see the three core facts of a story, and they are a girl went to a party, 
a girl hung out with boys and a girl was a troubled runaway. I already know that society has made its judgment about this kind of case. Someone somewhere said, oh, that's just what happens. And honestly, I feel like this carries a lot more weight in crime cases than we generally consider. But the fact remains that these things don't just happen. Something or someone happened to Melanie and it wasn't inevitable. It wasn't a consequence of her actions. It was a choice that a bad person made. Melanie was just a teenage girl who went to have fun with her friends and someone made her disappear. Considering the fact that Melanie had run away multiple times, you have probably assumed that she didn't have the happiest childhood. Her parents both struggled with substance abuse, which led Melanie to end up living with her grandma. I couldn't find anything that suggested that she had any problems with her grandmother, but I'm also not ruling that out. Whatever troubles Melanie had, they seemed to be fairly ongoing, at least until her final months. Before we talk about Melanie's whereabouts, we need to discuss the night of her disappearance. On the night that she disappeared, Melanie reportedly pulled a classic lie. She told her grandmother that she would be staying with a neighbor friend. And while that might have been true, she failed to mention the party in the woods that she would be attending later that night. Something tells me that she intentionally left this little bit of information out. After selling her story, Melanie went to hang out with her friend, and this is important because her friend was the last person to see her before the party began. This friend couldn't go to the party with Melanie because of her curfew. She didn't want to break rules like Melanie was, so she stayed behind. I know that this is probably the writer in me, but this part of the story just hits hard. I can't imagine the trauma of covering up for a friend and then having them disappear like that. It's awful, and it also feels a bit like a PSA. You know, the ones where someone says something like, be a good friend, tell them it's a bad decision. Very dramatic. As we all know, those PSAs are terribly ineffective, but this is definitely the kind of case that they would exploit to push some kind of agenda for it. The party itself sounds like something straight out of the opening scene of a horror film. There were teens, all drinking while underage, partying out in the woods on the outskirts of town. I'm sure that there were at least a couple of people there who were not even teenagers and were just creepy and hanging. But, um, (laughs) I'm not sure what teenage parties in the late 80s were like, so I'm just kind of imagining a mix between the bonfire in Greece a rave, and the audience at a BTS concert. In reality, it was probably just a random bunch of town kids and a lot of cheap beer, but for movie's sake. Then I read something that didn't sit well with me. Apparently, Melanie was one of only a few girls at this party, and that's when I got really nervous for her. It just makes it worse that I already knew how the story ended. Even though she left her neighbor friend behind, Melanie was not alone at the party. 
She had five male friends with her, and later into the night, only two of them were left. The two boys that were left behind were Gene Bernini and Jimmy Tresca, and they would be the focus of the investigation for a good long while. At the end of the night, the party broke up. Or maybe Melanie and her friends just got bored. Either way, Jimmy decided he was done for the night and asked Melanie if she wanted a ride to her friend's house. She didn't. What she did want, according to their story, was to spend more time with Jean. The two of them were apparently having a great time and wanted to spend some of it alone. Jean and Melanie hung out for a while, walking through the woods and talking, or so the story goes, until Jean made it back to his motorcycle. Now, if you are picturing a dark teen romance movie scene where she crawls on the back of his motorcycle, I am sorry to disappoint. This is not the Lizzie McGuire movie, and Melanie did not get on the back of the villain's Vespa or motorcycle. Actually, Gene told police that he got on his bike and left Melanie out there alone. So, at this point, I'm obviously pretty suspicious of Gene. I'm not huge on the story that he just left her at the entrance to this wooded area on the outskirts of town and told her to walk back to her friend's house. I'm not sure what kind of friends you guys have, but guy or girl, none of my friends would say, hey, good luck out there and just leave me in the woods, I'm pretty sure. And it isn't just because they're afraid that they'll end up on my podcast. It's just a crappy thing to do, and that was Jean's big I-swear-it-wasn't-me officer story. (laughs) But finding out what happened wasn't particularly easy for police. However, it was likely very easy for the killers to hide because of a few key obstacles. First, there is the story about how the night ended. In reality, each of the boys accused the other boy of being the last to see Melanie. You would think that this would be a major red flag, but somehow it was not used to immediately lock one or both of them up. The next barrier to the investigation was the witnesses. Jean and Jimmy weren't only there with Melanie. Their girlfriends were there too. And my suspicion only grows here because both girls completely refused to cooperate with police. They would not speak on the case and they would not comment on the situation. To assume that they might be covering for their boyfriends doesn't seem completely unreasonable. But it does make me wonder how something like that might weigh on a person's conscience. What kept those girls from speaking up? Did they know something happened? Was it a hunch? Were they afraid of the guys? Did they hate Melanie because Jean liked her? I guess we'll never know. Finally, there was what I would deem the biggest barrier, but I also can't confirm it. It's just something that I repeatedly read. Word on the street was that Jimmy's stepdad was a police officer and... This is a pretty obvious point of concern. A lot of the time, I think that movie tropes are a little ridiculous, but if 
there is any stereotype that I believe, particularly back then when nothing was really monitored, it's that special treatment would have been given to the people who are related to cops. It just seems like a really good way to make a crime disappear. I'm in no way saying that this is a guarantee, but I have read enough cases that involve people related to police that just kind of go nowhere, and it really freaks me out, so... Even with all these barriers, police had three main theories. Their first theory was that a completely random stranger murdered her that night. And yes, for the sake of your nightmares, I want you to know that they did release that statement about her being murdered before they found a body. So take that for what you will. The second theory was that she was abducted. A girl walking home at night after being abandoned by friends? It isn't entirely implausible, sure. And the third was that she had run away to Florida. This was the main theory that police ran with, and some wonder if it wasn't used as a cover-up for what really went down. Before we cycle to the obvious theory that we're all thinking about, let's explore the runaway theory. Unfortunately, this was not the first time that Melanie disappeared. In fact, she had run away before, which is why police had support for their theory that she ran away. It was a pretty easy assumption for them to make. When a teenage girl who has been known to disappear disappears again... I have to assume that police would kind of shrug it off, but that really isn't a good thing because it's kind of their job not to. Even if she had just run away, she was a minor and she needed to be found. It's not like it was safe out there for runaway kids. They are prime targets for all sorts of criminal activity. What makes the theory seem even less likely is her family. According to Melanie's family, she had never run away without contacting them, which is very considerate as far as teen rebels go. And they also said that she was at a point in her life when everything was really good for her. Things had been turning around for her and she had a lot to look forward to. At that point, Melanie had two huge things coming up. First was her 15th birthday that was only a few days away. And in my opinion, more importantly, she was about to get her braces off. I want you to know that I'm using 0% of my psych degree for this unofficial psychological analysis. This is really more of a um, Elle Woods breakthrough for me. You know, when Elle makes the case that happy people don't kill their husbands. As a teenage girl that had braces, I can tell you that nothing would have stopped me from making it to the removal appointment. Honestly, missing that appointment would have been my villain origin story. All that pain and waiting to have a smile that didn't physically hurt and rip up the inside of your mouth and she just leaves? I don't think so. Anyway, Melanie's family, like me all believe that the runaway theory is pretty weak. 
but police were not convinced. And a lot of us have some feelings about it. With this case, there is a fairly obvious theory. The one where Jean, or Jimmy, or Jean and Jimmy did something terrible to Melanie and got away with it. Despite the police turning up no convictions in this case, the rest of us are not entirely convinced that the killers weren't literally right there. In fact, the internet is filled with conspiracy theories and completely valid points that state just how weird this whole Gene and Jimmy thing is. So, let's talk about that. Stepping away from the theory that these guys were just not great friends... What would lead us to believe that they had something to do with her disappearance? Beyond the obvious, the first point of, oh man, they did it, for me, was the story about how Jimmy's car mysteriously vanished that week. According to Jimmy, his car was stolen. And as completely not suspicious as that sounds, I'm definitely not loving that coincidence. As far as theories that point the finger at these kids go, I think that this is a really valid one. His car suddenly disappearing seems like it would definitely follow the whole my stepdad is a cop, let's destroy the evidence narrative. And then there are the rumors. The biggest completely unverified rumor was that Jean and Melanie were secretly hooking up. If your first thought was, but he has a girlfriend, then you can probably assume the commonly theorized motives for the killing. No one knows if Melanie was breaking it off and Jean got mad, or if Jean was afraid that his girlfriend would find out, or if his girlfriend was jealous and agreed to cover it up out of pure spite. But we do know one thing for certain. 22 years later, In 2011, Gene Bertini was arrested with his wife. Why, you ask? Because they were committing robberies and Gene violently attacked a teenager who was working at the gas station. This development certainly paints Gene in a less than favorable light and also shows that he might have some experience in convincing women to be a part of his crimes. All I know is that a grown man that can hurt a teenager was also probably a teenage boy who could hurt a teenager too. But despite countless efforts throughout the years, Melanie was never found. Somewhere out in the woods, she disappeared without a trace and was never recovered. They received tips, but nothing ever came to light. We can all hope that she did run away and start a new life, somewhere with an orthodontist who could remove those braces for her, but I'm just not so sure. 
If you are looking for more true crime in your life, or you just want to see the new Among the Dirt and Trees mascot that I will be using to share unofficial true crime reports, where I will talk about which one of my neighbors is definitely a serial killer, or the places I see that look like murder hotspots, feel free to check me out on Twitter and Instagram with the tag at datpod. And of course, if you are looking to listen to the show without all those pesky ads, come join the community's Patreon at patreon.com slash like and inscribe. Big shout out to Jen for being my very first patron and for gaining access to all of this fun new stuff. We've got ad-free episodes, a nifty Discord community for people who want to talk true crime all day long, and I'm even working on a blooper reel just so you guys can hear how many times I mess up basic sentences. It's going to be a lot of fun. So if you're interested, definitely check it out. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.